You're listening to the NCF&B Podcast. Tell your friends to find us on iTunes at NCF Ampersand B Podcast. And remember, the ampersand is simply shift the number seven on your keyboard. And share our website, ncfbpodcast.com. There you'll find pictures, show notes between shows, and links to content where we've discussed on each episode. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ncfbpod. This show is sponsored by Food Scene. That's food-seen.com. Providing professional photography, social media management, website design, and graphic design services for the food and beverage industries of North Carolina. Foodscene.com. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for listening and watching. The NCF&B Podcast, live at the 2017 NCRLA Expo here in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. I am your co-host, Max Trujillo. And I am your co-host, Matthew Weiss. Today, we have asked three entrepreneurs from all different aspects of the food and beverage world to join us here. Um, but before we talk about them and introduce them, I wanted to talk about uh, what it means to be an entrepreneur and why we chose this topic. So over our 50 episodes now that are, have been recorded, you might not have listened to 50 episodes, but we have 50 recorded, uh, the NCF&B has been fortunate enough to hear amazing stories of how a few people with this entrepreneurial spirit are, were able to create successful businesses and become leaders in their field. Max and I both thought that this topic warranted some more deeper in inspection, uh, and in doing so, we hope that we might even spark some inspiration in aspiring young entrepreneurs. So before we get into it, let's also talk about and understand what it means to be an entrepreneur or the characteristics of being an entrepreneur. So uh, this is a little snippet I stole from Miriam, Miriam and Webster. You might well wonder whether entrepreneur simply means a person who starts a business and is willing to risk loss in order to make money or whether it carries an additional connotation of farsightedness and innovation. Also, we must consider the following, and this is according to Forbes magazine. Uh, allow me to preface this following couple of statements by understanding that entrepreneurs are synonymous with leaders. Leaders are like the Marines, first in, last out. They don't punch a clock, they don't get a job done, even if they mop up what's left behind. I'm sorry, they get a job done, even if they mop up what's left behind. Leaders work on the system, managers work in the system. Entrepreneurs know you need to be both a leader and a manager, in that order. They always start with a leader and then find a manager. So Max, who are our entrepreneurs joining us today? Thank you, Matt. Yes, we decided to uh, bring three different people from different walks of life, all within the uh, food and beverage industry. Uh, the first of which um, is a creative mind in the visual marketing side of the industry, Felicia Perry Trujillo, it's a very common name in these parts, of Food Scene, which provides professional photography, social media management, website design for the food, beverage, and tableware industries of North Carolina. Next to her, we have a multiple business owner, Ms. Kim Hammer of Bittersweet, uh, Bittersweet being a cocktail dessert coffee lounge, and Raleigh Provisions, newly opened a corner shop in the heart of downtown Raleigh, providing North Carolina specialty food, wine, and beer. And an entrepreneur changing lanes at the height of his success with a multi-restaurant hospitality group, Echelon Experiences, to releasing his latest venture in the beverage industry, Social House Vodka. That's the 2017 NCRLA Restaurateur of the Year, G. Patel. Let's give it up for everybody that's here today. Yeah. Okay. And we also know that the sun is going to get right behind the moon, and then it's going to get real dark, and about 75 people's eyes are going to get burned out. But until then, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship, and we might open it up to the uh, huge audience we have out here, 70, 80,000 people. And uh, so get in line. And we'll uh, open up for questions at the end, but we all want to run outside and check out how dark it gets. So, until uh, then, let's talk to our entrepreneurs out here. So, with the three of you, this is just a kind of basic one to start off. 
What made you take that leap from working in the regular workforce, punching a clock, going nine to five, to deciding that you needed to work for yourselves? Maybe uh, Felicia, I'll, I'll let you start on that one. Uh, I got laid off. <laughs> um, I had always been kind of a self-starter even back when I was 12 and started a dog walking, house sitting, babysitting company. Um, and then learned throughout high school and college that I could make money um, leveraging my, uh, my talents and abilities in the artistic and creative realm. And um, I went on through a bachelor's program in history. I got my master's in business, hoping it would help direct me and figure out what I wanted to do. And so while I was working on my MBA, I was working for .com and was laid off. So to supplement my income, I was taking on creative projects like photography and art. And photography was still relatively new to me. Wasn't it your husband that first bought you your first camera? <laughs> As a matter of fact, it was. I have, I have him to thank for my entire career. Um, but um, so, and so before graduating from the MBA program, I was laid off and um, was, was taking out some photography projects. By the time I graduated from the program, I had a fully committed schedule for 2014 <laughs> and uh, ran my business for 10 years in LA we relocated to Raleigh and I, I started all over again very nice yeah. Kim since you're the next down the line would you let us know how you got your entrepreneurial career started uh, I think it ultimately was a result of trying to make um, motherhood and my desire to have a very real and personal career coexist together. Um, I, I don't think I'm telling mothers out there anything new that it's difficult to mesh those two realities and, and basically I didn't want anybody telling me when I could and couldn't spend time with my kids and um, I had been working as a freelance writer before I became a mom and so I'd gotten quite used to not having a boss and um, that's, that's probably the bulk of where it came from is I just wanted to legitimately find a way to quote unquote have it all. Um, I mean- and, That's fantastic. <laughs> and be your own boss. Yeah, and be, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I, and I, I think the other big part of it is that I enjoy that every day I get up and I don't know what it's gonna look like. Because I get bored very, very easily. Pretty much every project that I've done has come out of a place of being really, really bored and like wanting those challenges. And, and in this industry in particular, like every single day is different. And that's good for my restless mind. Yeah. Go Rob the Suave. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, entrepreneurship is, is such a unique uh, definition. Um, I can see. Um, the characteristics of entrepreneurs uh, since I was an early age of four or five, you know, just kind of self-driven, self-motivated, self-starter. Um, but I mean, end of it, it comes down to paying bills, you know. Um, I remember that I was going down the path of, um, you know, engineering, which is all good Indians do, or a doctor, <laughs> you know. Sure. And I was like, ah, that's, uh, so I, was, I started the, uh, down so that cliche. path. <laughs> it's the truth, you know. Um, <laughs> but I started down the path doing uh, my CCNA back in 2000 in high school. I was like, okay, well, this, is, this will pay for my bills. I had a family I had to support, take care of. Uh, went down that path and, well, the market crashed. So now I'm like, well, I can't get a job with this degree I got in high school. So let me just start bussing tables. And... Uh, from there, I had three jobs and trying to figure out how to make money, pay for your college and support your family. Like, oh, shit, that's, that's, this is never going to cut it. Um, so I started my company, Cloud9 Entertainment, and that's literally how I got into it. And one thing led to another. And, you know, the events company uh, made really good money with it. I mean, hell, when you're in college, crushing it. Um, if you can go to Cancun, you know, four times a year. Your ball That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'll send this back down the line. So, G, you first. What is the first action, the first very thing you did in order to get Cloud9 Entertainment back then off the ground? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for any, anything to succeed, you have to have a good plan, right? Yeah. Um, and now that I look back to it, I wish that I, as you say, people say, you know, I wish I 
what I know now I knew then, right? Um, but having a good plan and executing on that plan um, should be any part of life's um, first goal, right? Um, writing it down and how are you gonna follow it? Because being an entrepreneur, we're all creative minds and we can get lost in our own ways and like, this sounds good. I mean, we're like a bunch of squirrels looking for a nut. So in essence, the first thing you did was Put, up, put pen to paper and say, this is what I want to do with Cloud9. That sounds right, but that's probably not the first thing I did. <laughs> well, if you think about it later, come, come back to us. What about you, Kim? What was the very first action you took? Uh, it was actually, I, I had a fellow, um, I, was, I was kind of just bored <laughs> and baking um, a lot at home for all of my friends. And it was one of my fellow like mom friends who just, legit put a phone number for the SBA like in my hand and said this is insane you should be getting paid to do what you're doing just call them mm -hmm. and see what's involved with that and um, it was it was amazing that first phone call they just gave me a list they were like this is where you start these are this is what if that's what you want to do here's the order of people to call and um, you know, it was a, at the time my business was a home-based business and so it was, it was wonderful to not have the overhead expense of a storefront and I was able to, like, it didn't disrupt the entire family's life and my financial future and everything to start this business small. I had it, my oldest was two when I did that and yeah. it was just like, I love the simplicity of that. Somebody gave you a number, yeah. and all you had to do to start was first thing. Is I make mean, the and call. I remember so. when she handed me that number. I remember thinking, "Oh, this is probably very complicated, and <laughs> I don't know." And they, they, legit, they just made it easy for me. They were like, "Just call these numbers, and each one is going to tell you what you need to do." And I was like, "Okay, I can handle that." <laughs> Take action. So. And Felicia. When I first started my business, it kind of started on its own. I, I, I didn't necessarily have a definitive moment where I was like, I'm going to start a photography business. It was a side job. It was a kind of an interim thing and took off. So I felt like I was always playing catch up. And then when we moved to Raleigh and I was forced to start over, I had this great opportunity to do it right on the second go around. So all these things that I learned and all these things that I didn't do, I was able to implement the second time. So when we moved here, uh, previously I had done primarily wedding and event photography and when we, we moved here I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and my photography ability evolved into food, evolved into showcasing that food photography on social media and on websites. And I remember about 10 months after being in Raleigh, I went to a women's conference and, and the question was like, what, what, is, what am I gonna do? Where, what do I really wanna do if I had to pick something? And it was like, it's the food, I love the food. And that day I went home and I came up with the name Food Scene and spent weeks working on a logo and then hit the ground running. But I, I've been, even though it's grown fast, I've been very methodical about the growth and, and kind of paused and planned out the next step so that I didn't end up in the same trappings of, oh my God, it's been 10 years and I'm still trying to catch up from that yeah. first day. So could we distill it down to say the act of going to that conference? Maybe spur, that was that was like the, the illumin the conference yeah. was called Illuminate and that was the illuminating moment where I was mm. like this is what I want to do but I can't name. do it unless I fully commit and it was really hard to let go of my portfolio and everything I had done previously but that was kind of the moment where I was like okay this is it let's let's take it and go nice so the the tool hopefully for this podcast and this session right here live is for potential young entrepreneurs that are looking to you old people over here that really know what you're doing <laughs> uh and find out like how to do things so I, I wanted to figure out you know there there are steps that you take and the one step that many times gets overlooked is the specifics about really taking that first step and so thinking about funding and thinking about investments and thinking about sponsorships or or just you know, family's money or however it might happen. Um, what, how do you, what, how do you feel about the idea of bootstrapping it on your own dime or having a good concept that you can farm out to people and say, hey, invest in me, I will make you money and things like that. I think all three of you, 
of whom I've talked with in the past have a different story when it comes to that. So anyone care sure. to chime up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there, there's different levels in, um, to being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I, I believe in bootstrapping, uh, especially if it's your first venture, because uh, I think it really uh, gives you an understanding of value of the dollar, you know, how far you need to stretch it. Um, I remember that I had savings of that, that time. I felt like I made more money than back then than I do now. But um, <laughs> is that, you know, having your own $13,000 and investing that into the business and I remember when I fundraised, I, mean, I went to 18 different friends and family, and from 2,000 there, 3,000 there, that's how I rounded up with $86,000, and I was like 20. Um, but I think, crazy. and understanding the value of that, you know, $86,000, that's a lot of money to a 20-year-old, hell, to anybody. Um, yeah. But, and getting it from individuals who, you know, who support you and who, who see your vision, um, you, you try to protect that more than just a bank note. I mean, not that that money's any less, but I think that it's really important. I mean, that's that one segment, but I think once you evolve and once you become, I guess, so-called businessman, um, it, we just, for social house vodka, right? I mean, that, we did a complete different round of funding. I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars yeah. that didn't come from my, necessarily from my pocket, but I think, you know, four years of value and worth and time and effort that's gone into it, um, so I think as you, to, to sum it up, I mean, you have to understand that the base route, and, and to go, you have to grow um, organically. And I think if you can learn from that, um, then I think you can mature, because you have a better decision-making skills at that point. Yeah. Essentially for you, it made more sense to put, to bootstrap it, as you say, or invest your own money, your sure. family money that you could figure out, versus going to a bank or at that point proving yourself to some sort of investor, lender, whatever. Yeah, maybe. Banks, banks. Who banks. goes to banks yeah. anymore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I feel like more doors have closed on my face than, you know, asking girls out with banks. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Like, okay, see ya. Yeah, that <laughs> slick suit ain't gonna work at Wells Fargo. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, can, no, you were banks, saying banks uh, hate our industry. Like, there's no bones about. I mean, I guess unless I was something established like a golden corral, then yeah. it would be or like. I, um, well, I think if you take it back to like the 1990s and back then, when it was a whole different game in the banking world, restaurants were a little bit more of a safe investment. But it all changed in the 2000s. Yeah, chefs would walk in with a menu and say, this is my concept. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to do chicken and waffles. Dream. I'm going to do <laughs> this. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to make a gin joint where I okay. sell desserts right. late night. Uh, and you go, what can the? you give me some money? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, this, is, uh, this is a hard topic. No, it's, this is a very easy topic for me to talk about, but I'm not, I, I feel like nothing I'm going to say is going to be a very popular response. But um, first of all, I, banks are a waste of time, in my opinion, in our industry. I, I think, just jumping on what G said, I do think it's very important for you to have skin in the game and to have saved your money and to be willing to... When I went into Bittersweet, I put literally everything I had. Like, everything I had in the world. Like, I was like, I will drive a car that is 15 years old for as long as I have to. Like, everything I have. Because I saw Bittersweet, and I, to this day, see that. Like, Bittersweet is my 401k. Like, that's where it is. It's everything is in there. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that being said, I, I could sit down, and you could do an entire podcast of my cautionary tales of, of investors. Because I, you know, I, what I am legally bound to even speak about. I had a very negative experience, um, ended up in court. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about that, though, is when that happens, I've had so many people in my industry be like, oh, sit down and have a drink. <laughs> yeah. like, let's let's trade war stories. Like, oh, you got, you yeah. got to serve yellow papers? Yeah. Oh, it's your first time. <laughs> They're just like, oh, honey. At least, you, you know, like, so, um, here's what I'll, uh, God. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. After I got, I, I did bittersweet knowing that in my mind, I was like, this is going to be my portfolio piece. I want to make it everything in the entire world that I would ever want it to be. And even if that means I have to borrow a lot of money from an individual or individuals, because the truth is, is there aren't banks that would, I mean, I went to plenty of banks and you know what? It's even worse. 
I don't think a man has ever walked into a bank and had a banker look across from them and talk to them, a female banker, mind you, in this story, and say, do you really think you're going to be able to do this and have two children while you're doing this? And I was like, yeah. how did that, how is that even okay? But so the moral is, is like, I'm not gonna lie. Like I made a deal. I like have been through the process. I've been through the ringer. But the crazy thing is, is that like now, three years into Bittersweet, I have the most wonderful and amazing people in the entire world who are like, What's your next project? How can I help? What do you need? Yeah. All of these things. It's, I mean, like, before I started Bittersweet, I was legitimate. I was just like a housewife that, like, I had a baking business out of my house and I had two kids. And I will say this, though. Do your research. I spent probably two and a half to three years working on the business plan for Bittersweet before it opened. I had spies in every bar in downtown Raleigh. <laughs> I made friends with every door guy and bar back in town. I knew how many people were coming into every bar that I had somebody at at night. I knew what their totals were at the end of the night. Nice. I knew how much their like uh, utility bills were. I can tell you, like at that time, <laughs> Her I new project told you, is like, going to be called so... Espionage. I had three places <laughs> right on the corner from her. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> this is a sub podcast that Max and I are going to have to produce. <laughs> like, what everybody drinks, what they spend. Did you wear like a black cat suit? Like, <laughs> time? I just drank a lot in a lot of bars <laughs> and made friends. Oh, with, we love. Like, Kim, she's the drunk at the end of the bar. Yeah. Meanwhile, copious. Why is she looking at my tail? I was a regular everywhere. And it's like, that was research. And it was, it, it is like, whoo, coming so ha- I mean, so at least I was, at least I felt like I had factual things that I was coming from because that's the hardest part about that first business plan you do is you're literally just like, I don't know, probably cost this much. Who knows? Maybe I'll have this many people. And it's like, so do as much homework as you possibly can. What about you, Felicia? I mean, considering that I'm independently wealthy, it must have been so easy for you to just create your own business, I assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was that first camera. Yeah. <laughs> 17 years Canon ago. <laughs> um, I'm in a slightly different situation because I have a service-based business. So my, my barrier to entry hasn't really been money and having space and product and, and employees out of the gate. Um, Early on, when I started, cameras were film cameras, and, and I had my first film camera and upgraded from there. So I'm always been, you know, I've always been upgrading my equipment. As far as everything else, it's been kind of gradual. Um, the lessons I've learned along the way is to uh, better reinvest in my business, growing the business, but now, most importantly, um, the people and the people who work for me and so yeah I mean I have not had the need really for any sort of bank loans or investors at this stage and hope to continue the growth at, at a manageable pace so that it always is just circling right back around to what I'm yeah, doing you, and what I'm you bringing You run a in. business that doesn't necessarily need a brick and mortar. Right. And you can run an office together yeah. in a small Yeah, part. and everybody kind of works remotely. I bring in contractors that aren't on payroll um, and make sacrifices. I mean, I've had to grow uh, my the amount of employees that I have, and, and that, of course, takes a big chunk out of your profit margin. But, but you can't grow <laughs> unless you invest in people to provide support because you can't do everything yourself. So you kind of make some sacrifices. Yeah, so lesson learned. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you don't have any funding, do a service business. <laughs> Figure out what service you can provide. I did want to follow up, and um, you can all answer this, or just one. I think when you're starting out, and before you have a proven record, there's probably a lot of negativity coming your way, whether that be family telling you, why are you gonna do this, go get a regular job. Uh, and I guess for each of you, real quick, are you the type that feeds on negativity where you know they say you can't and you say I can, or is it a thing where you just kind of have tunnel vision and you black out everything else that you can, like you can't hear it. Yeah, and you, just, and you don't listen to it and you just plow forward. Uh, Kim, I can tell <laughs> Kim's got a chip on her shoulder. Meaning, like, if people say no, you just don't listen. No, I don't. Well, I love this industry 
so much, and I think it is so important. I think it's a crucial part of society. I think it is something that could never ever go away. And so like, you're either in it or you're not, in my mind. Like that's like, and if you're not in it, don't tell me what to do about it. And that's, I honestly, have to tell my employees that a lot because yeah. they're all sort of in the like mid 20s and all of their parents are like when are you, I can't when believe when are you going to get a real job, real job yeah. like an art try to hire staff in Los Angeles when everyone wants to be an actor oh. and doesn't get a crap about being yeah. a well waiter. you know what's funny is here it's everybody's parents are like I can't believe you left that tech job yeah. to go it, that's the thing in downtown Raleigh I probably have three employees that had tech jobs in a, in a cubicle somewhere and are like, and went to school for that and then left and are like so much happier. And so like, I actually spend a lot of time with them talking about like how to talk to your family about how this is what you love. <laughs> like, Coaching by Kim I think it comes up, it's a lot easier if you actually had the desk job, which I had that job and a lot of my employees had that job and you were miserable and depressed. If there are people that actually care about you, they don't want to see you that way. Right. So nice. Do you guys want to weigh in on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate from that standpoint, right? I think my family, um, they always supported um, whatever my calling was, let it be a, a model or, you know, an actor, but not really. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I still remember, like, I, I had a, a plan that I had written out, right? And the fact that I had a company for three years, you know, made right. money with it. And I was coming to the table, like, hey, uh, uncle, I need you know, money for what? And I mean, I was coming at literally, I remember $13,000, 200 bucks. I'm like, can I borrow 5,000? And here's my plan for the nightclub, this is what we're gonna do, here's the revenue. So I think having a plan always helped. Um, but to the success other question- Success begets success. If yeah. you didn't have that original 13, you would probably have- Yeah, that would be like, uh, yeah, but why don't you go clean some hotel rooms again? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, I mean, I grew up doing that. So I mean, you knew that I had the work ethic, right? Um, I mean, cleaning hotel rooms from age 12. Uh, but the second question, you said, yeah, I, I love being, I love being challenged. Yeah. So I almost dropped a bomb there. Um, <laughs> as you can see, it gets passion out of me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that only you know what you can handle, only you know what you can do, so don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. I, w I was always very artistic and creative growing up and always heard, you're really good at what you do, but what are you going to do when you grow up because you can't be an artist? Yeah. And when I started having an interest in photography, uh, I was told I wasn't very good at it. Um, but I always, whatever I did, whatever job I had or whatever degree I was working on, I always circled back around to the creative endeavors because that's, that's what I loved, but that's what I was good at. And if I wasn't that great at photography the first time I took pictures, I got better. And um, I, even after getting my master's and accidentally starting the photography, it still, I felt fulfilled and couldn't imagine going to a job and being creative within a set of parameters. So I continued with that. Now, the, there was an underlying insecurity always there, but, um, but when I moved here and was anonymous and got to start over and didn't have my family around me mm -hmm. and all the yeah. people who knew me, I, I just flourished and it was a clean slate and I had this opportunity to do whatever I wanted to do and I could reinvent myself and I could create a business and I could create a career and a combination of services and, and convincing myself that I was even better than I thought I was has made me so much better at, at everything that I do and even want to be even better than that. I, I want to weigh in here too because Matt. I had just the great conversation to tell my mom that I'm gonna quit my job and be a professional podcaster. She looked at me like, what is that? <laughs> How do you do that? I still don't think she's actually heard one episode. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, what is a podcast? It's like radio. Well, we're gonna send this directly to her. We're gonna send somebody out to have it downloaded it on her phone. Yeah. All right, let's get uh, specific to North Carolina as we are here at the NCRLA Expo. Um, I'm wondering, and I know there's some specific examples just from knowing you three and having talked in the past, but can you enlighten us or the aspiring entrepreneur on what does North Carolina do business-wise or agriculturally to make your business easier or, let's say, uh, entice it or facilitate or provide opportunity? 
Um, I think one of the, the reasons um, I still stay here and Raleigh's my home is actually the people itself. Um, yeah. What makes uh, what, what I do and what we do um, enticing. I mean, the culture that we have here, support of each other, uh, and, and constantly being a resource to each other. Um, I don't see, or I haven't seen that um, in other parts of the world, and I've been fortunate to travel most of it, but like in Raleigh, I feel like we can, you can go to each other's neighbors and spy on numbers, but you know, uh, we can also call and say, like, hey, do you have this or do you have that? And you don't have to be like, oh shit, how, what are they gonna really think, right? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's been actual, the culture of people um, that, that Raleigh's breeding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, for me, I would, none of what I did would have gotten started if it actually wasn't for the agricultural department. Um, because I didn't realize until I started doing it, but my home-based baking business, there's only about five states in the whole country that allow you to have a home-based baking business as long as you like follow under certain parameters. But um, it was unbelievably easy. And uh, I, you know, it kind of coincides with my second business with RP because like North Carolina, does a phenomenal job of promoting their small food businesses and their small um, growers. So like through Gotta Be NC, through what the Visitors Bureau does for a lot of these All um, the farmers companies. markets everywhere. All the farmers or... markets, yeah. Like I, I the, the more I've gotten out and traveled, the more I think that we have it better than anybody else here. And so, I mean, I, the agriculture department did that to protect these small, um, I mean, I think initially, like these grandmas that we would see selling pies at the farmer's market and stuff like that. But what it's grown and swollen into is like people like April at Farmer's Daughter um, and these small companies that just like are phenomenal. And, and they like, get a chance. They yeah. Have a place I mean, the table. I would have yeah. never had a chance and I would have never been able to develop a reputation had I had to pay for any kind of overhead. I didn't have any money to do that. Right. Start in New York where you had lived yeah, for a while. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, yeah. just to specifically compare that, if you started a baking business in another state, you would have to get a licensed kitchen oh, yeah. and be inspected oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And Two brokers is not real. No. And I mean, I think it's one no of one those things that. No one gets because no one watched that show. <laughs> They're like realistic. They're like these little grandmas are making, or, you know, or you know, like you're making this in the kitchen. You don't need a grease trap. You don't need a like a, a, a hood. Like you're making ten pies to sell on a Saturday. Like how about we support those people? And you know, and that's, I mean, that's what we need. There's so many businesses that are just like dead before they can take off because, it, you know, you have to have this hunk of money to open. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things I, I wanted to add on what she said, that, I mean, even the ag departments within the universities, um, you know, and this is something that we just, I mean, obviously I've, I've been using NC State University, but I mean, even UNC, Duke, um, they have a lot of resources that are available to you. Yeah. You just kind of have to learn how to navigate them. I mean, us, when we launched the vodka, I mean, we got 30 different vodkas tested to chemically, chemically analyzed to really see what they're comprised of. And NC State did that for us. Yeah. You know. Well, Felicia, you're working with the mentorship program at mm -hmm. NC State. Both of us are mentors. Both of you, yeah, that's yeah. right. And you're, it's been a, a wealth of connections and young people that want to mm -hmm. add to this industry and do a whole bunch. And it's great because it's giving them a job right out of the gate getting out of college mm -hmm. or while they're still in college. And that's the thing with North Carolina and the Triangle specifically because we live here. But living in L.A. my entire life at that pace, and then moving here, it's like it's like the clouds parted. It's just LA is an amazing place and has a lot to offer. But everybody's a creative. It's highly competitive. Nothing. Everything's been done in a lot of ways. So when we moved here, there's so many things that still aren't here, and it's like oh my, it's Pink so dot. exciting. What? Pink dot. Yeah. <laughs> it's so exciting to be on the precipice of this this growth and expansion and evolution and be a part of it and a contributing part of it, as opposed to somebody who's kind of just pushing their way, trying to get in. And, and because of the cohesiveness of specifically the food and beverage industry, it even fuels that growth and that connectivity and that, that potential for success even more. Because everybody really is helping each other out, supporting each other, connecting each other. And it's, it makes you excited and makes you want to work harder and do more and come up with even more ideas and, and innovative you know, endeavors 
to better the community as a whole. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a testament also to the NCRLA is they also not, not only um, connect you probably with some of the universities, but also kind of read through some of that information so that we don't have to be professional lawyers to understand what they're saying, essentially. So sure. it really does facilitate for those young entrepreneurs to no start their own businesses and find help. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Um, we talked about entrepreneurs being leaders. So how has your business or something that your business has done changed or revolutionized the field? Ooh, that's a loaded awesome. one. Why are you, <laughs> ladies first. Well, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't think food scene or myself has revolutionized anything. But what I've learned along the way is that you can you can do anything you want. And my business is a combination of creative services being the photography and marketing or branding services being the social media management and the website design. And that really makes my company stand out because my customers, my client base, they get this kind of fully fleshed out service that, that visually represents what they're trying to do but also expresses that on media outlets. Um, and, and I think it's a, a unique way to, to look at business or approach it in that you don't have to do just one thing or you don't have to do just one service. You can offer a variety of things and services as long as they are complementary and aren't fragmented and you can maintain them. Um, not no, that that's revolutionary, yeah, your but... Your business was a great example of kind of a, a need for the area. I think like right when, yeah, when I, I first yeah. moved here, I came here three months before you did and I realized like all the photography on Instagram wasn't really up to the next level and there weren't a lot of like huge social media campaigns happening mm -hmm. just because I think that was the evolution of social media in general. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going back four years ago it was like a perfect time to get mm -hmm. everything started. Yeah, I mean, there were not, there's still not very many of us that specifically focus on food and beverage in North Carolina. I mean, there are photographers that do other things and food and beverage, but that specifically focus on food and beverage and then tie in, or there's people who just do social media or just do websites. Right. Um, so to be able to combine those three, um, I think it's a service to the community. And, and it's a revolution. It's, it's just kind of it carves like a unique path, I think. Nice. What, how are you two so awesome for this area? Revolutionary yeah. sex is a big word. <laughs> like, you can interchange it with unique or different, new. Uh, well, uh, Bittersweet specifically, um, I wanted to create a place that uh, bookended uh, a lot of the wonderful restaurants that we have here. I wanted, and, and thankfully it's kind of worked out this way, I wanted people to come get a drink with me and then I'll tell you where to go eat dinner and then <laughs> yeah. come back afterwards. And, well, and you're a gin joint, which, uh, I mean, well, primary, you yeah, can get actually, everything, yeah, but that's, that's a... That was definitely a very conscious decision. Uh, that's a good In a bourbon-riddled world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, there's a lot of bourbon everywhere and, um, and gin is what I love and so um, a lot of people ask, like, well, where did you get this idea for gin? And I was like, I just, I like gin. <laughs> <laughs> I like gin a lot. Yeah. And so um, so I that was a very conscious decision to be like, I don't even know if anybody else likes gin. Yeah. But Gee, I don't think you're that very different with vodka. And no, I was like, why do vodka? like, because I drink a lot of it? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as musicians, you're supposed to write songs for yourself. Like, if you like the song, then hopefully other people will. If you write it for other people to like and you're not, your heart isn't into it, it's not going to sound good. So it's kind of like you need, your business needs to be an example of your personal love. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's your passion. And, and G, you also, we spoke offline a little bit about you know, revolutionizing, or not revolutionizing, but revitalizing the 300 block. Sure, yeah, I mean, I, I, after the, after we had that conversation, I thought about it a little bit more, but I think, yeah, being able to uh, activate something, you know, just putting energy into it, uh, that, that, that was really cool for us. When we, I mean, we moved downtown and opened our first shop, gosh, almost 10 years ago, you know, uh, and not nothing being there, um, that was really, that was really unique, that was really cool, and we took that, um, you know, leap, um, and I think, um, uh, we kept going, but uh, to our organization specifically, uh, what I what I like to say, is, I wouldn't say revolutionary, 
is that um, we try to create a culture that this is a job, this is a real job. And um, the in our organization, uh, the people that we've cultivated and who are leaders in our organization now, um, they came out of college just to you know, wait tables until they find a real thing. But the three individuals who came to just wait table, I mean, they run the entire company now. Um, That's beautiful. So being able to do that and create that, um, that ladder um, and be a resource for somebody. Because at the end of the day, you don't need that much to survive, right? Um, we continue to grow so you can create opportunities for others. And I think that's one of the things that we've been able to do as an organization um, yeah. that stands out. Well, as we draw closer to the end, I've got one last question to ask for the, uh, the panel here. But if anybody else would like to have a question for the audience, I'll give you the time in the amount of time that they answer my question to open it up <laughs> for you to ask a, a quick one. And then we'll go out and we'll look at the eclipse. Yeah, I'll be Phil Donahueing around. Yeah, I can run around. <laughs> He's got his kids on, I think. So, um, uh, We've been talking like crazy about first in, last one out, like Marines, these like leaders, these business people work so hard and tirelessly. What about shutting off every now and then? How do you manage your time? How do you do you when you're not at the business? Felicia, how do you do you? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not very good at time management. <laughs> no, I mean, a couple of things that I have done in attempts to manage my time is hiring good people, whether it's hiring somebody to help with the kids or hiring somebody to work at the business. Um, and also finding the right people and training the right people is critical. I typically try very hard not to work on the weekends. Um, I always end up doing some stuff. We spent half the day working yesterday, but I, I really do make a conscious effort to check out Saturday and Sunday so that we can do fun stuff with the kids or we can veg out on the couch and, and recharge and, and not feel completely drained by the time Monday rolls around. We've kind of just checked out a little bit. So. I'm pretty sure I know where you are seven Sunday nights at 9 p.m. out of the year. <laughs> yes, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Dragons. We watch a lot of TV. TV, I love. I love it. It's Matt just a great to way us. to He wanted to out. talk last night about this, and he goes, how about 9 o'clock Sunday? I go, dude, that's GOT. No <laughs> IHBO go it. So. Yeah, that's my account. What? Entrepreneurship. <laughs> you gotta, gotta, gotta be resourceful. Oh Kim, how do you play? Where, what do you do to play? Uh, I gotta be honest, I, I, I'm not really good at unplugging you from don't. it. I mean, I, just if I'm really honest. That's a fair answer. Everything that I do is some version of this. If I need to step away from something, it's usually like, <laughs> I will be like, oh, I, I spend a lot of time reading, but it's, I'm not going to even try to play like it's not. It is all work related. Mm -hmm. I just need a constant input. So I'm constantly reading, um, whether it's cookbooks, magazines, um, New York Times. It's just a lot of input. Uh, so when I'm like relaxing, it's, it's, it's really working. workaholic things like, oh, OK, I'll sit down and start organizing what I think would make a good cookbook. You know, <laughs> so it's, it is, yeah. Um, That's why you do, you're doing what you're doing. I mean, I I'm just being really honest. It's yeah. I can't, I don't step away from it easily, even if I'm at like my kid's soccer game or something like that. Like, what if there is a really stressful day and just something like you need to do, you like throw on a rock gin. song real loud? Okay, do you want to know this? This is a vodka. Yes. Is, no, this is the truth. And and Lewis is my uh, bar manager, is my partner in life and partner in crime. In this is is. He knows when I go to him and I'm just like, I need a steak and a dirty martini. Okay. And that's like, I need to sit in like a dark booth steakhouse. Like, yeah. There yeah, we go. That's it. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, know that usually there's a helicopter that picks you up yeah, yeah, to right. go take that's you to right. some far that's off right. land. I love how just, you know, I've created that persona. Mm -hmm. just, just shit's just awesome, right? You, you, <laughs> well, hold on. Wait. You did have a woman hanging from ropes pouring cocktails at yeah. the social house release party. So yeah. I wonder where that reputation comes from. I, I don't know, man. And you were just... totally relaxed and just chilling, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I was shaking hands, kissing babies. <laughs> No, I mean, I, listen, I, um, I think taking time off, it takes time, uh, it takes practice, uh, and it takes that, your, your conscious decision to really want to unplug. Um, 
my the reason I do what I do is for my family, right? And if you can't enjoy that time and enjoy that aspect of life, uh, why else are you doing? Obviously, we're all in, uh, passionate people, right? So it's not like, oh God, this is boring stuff. I don't I don't want to have to do it. Like I I love waking up at three thirty in the morning and just reading shit. You know, um, I, I want to wake up and look at reports and I want to do emails because that's what I enjoy. But um, I, I find my time to unplug um, probably between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. Try to, depending on what time the kids wake up. And then if not, then we'll just go away for the weekend. You but know? what do you do? Do you work out? Do you like have a cup of coffee to read the paper? And no, the I don't section? do coffee. At, uh, I, I used to go run until six years ago. Um, but no, I just... Candy Crush? <laughs> Meditate? No. <laughs> you used to do yoga. You do some yoga? Yeah. yeah. All right. There we go. All right. So we are going to open it up to the Does floor. Does anyone have a hand up that wants to ask a question? Yeah. Oh, here we go. The lovely, beautiful blonde in the front here. <laughs> Please state your name, and then you can speak into the microphone so the we microphone. can get you on the pod. Caroline Schmidt. And this is for Kim. Inquiring minds want to know what is your favorite gin because I'm a gin gal too. I'm gonna oh, <laughs> this is this is make this, gonna make this question is gonna make me sad right now today because um, my favorite gin uh, is a gin out of uh, New York called Brooklyn Gin, and it is so much my favorite gin that we have probably spent the last three years working to get it in North Carolina. We did succeed in getting it in North Carolina as a special order gin um, just this year, but uh, we tear through it and now is like, you're catching me in one of these interims right now where it's like, who knows when it'll come in? We've already <laughs> torn through all of it. And it's like, but the, the, the funny thing about that is I did have a customer who had heard that through the grapevine before we were able to get it who was one of my regulars and came back from New York and li literally like showed up at the bar and was like, I got you a present. And I was just like, I don't know who you are, but you're going to become my best friend because you, it was just like, it was just a wonderful, we are very good friends now. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And if you look it up, it has like also just one of the most beautiful bottles ever, which that's is such a sucker Brooklyn for gin. Yeah, that's B-R-E-U? No, not that not one. Not that one. No, okay. not that one. <laughs> There's not an imposter one. one. The one that is spelled like Brooklyn. Like, like Brooklyn, and the city. It's just a beautiful like citrus and somewhat lavender forward gin that I, I just adore it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, just definitely like seek it out for sure. <laughs> it looks like we have uh, Kelly right over here. If you'd like, or would, yeah, please. Hey guys, it's Kelly Probst. Um, I noticed that there's a theme, you know, as you're talking about being entrepreneurs, that there's still a very important family connection, and all of y'all kids. Um, what do you think you're teaching, or you know, have you noticed or any anecdotes that they've kind of you know, built or learned from you as leaders and as entrepreneurs and kind of go-getters? We have two girls and I love, like they're so into what I do and they call me like girl boss and, and they are always ask if they can, you know, come with me to see a client or go on a photo shoot. And I love instilling in them that you work hard, you can do whatever you want to do, you can pursue your dreams. And I, I can't think of anything else that I would love to give them if I give them anything. Well put. Uh, I, I have a son and a daughter. I think um, probably the biggest thing I try to is instill in them is to just be fearless. Like I always tell them whatever that thing is that you are scared of, that's the thing you should run towards. Like go towards that, that's, that's the challenge and then because I just feel as particularly I try to instill it in my daughter is if you don't have fear, then you can do anything you want to do. I mean, so that's probably, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a daughter who's four and a half, but acts like she's 14. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, I remember she said the word eloquently when she was two. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the end of me. Um, but is I, she I, talking about your suit? <laughs> yeah. It's so eloquent, Dad. Um, but no, I, I think uh, teaching them the value uh, of money and the value of hard work. Hard work. Um, 
And I think the, her seeing it, and it, it's awesome uh, how she says, like, oh, Dad, your day must have been really hard work today, huh? And she's like, I did hard work too. I cleaned my room. I was like, awesome. So I think <laughs> un, uh, understanding that uh, and, and appreciating um, the upbringing uh, they have, uh, especially kind of, I mean, we talk about in the podcast, my upbringing, right? Uh, not having anything and not having that and her having every possible thing you can imagine, but understanding and appreciating that. So seeing that. Nice. And I don't know about y'all, but I take my kids, my kids go everywhere with yeah. this. Like my daughter was two years old and sitting in like, no, she was like three and would sit through like three hour meetings about tableware. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she's a restaurant kid through and through. Like if, if I, she would, Oh, if my I could kids hire are in this tomorrow, podium right here. <laughs> <laughs> she would, she yeah. would be running in a restaurant oh. empire by the time she's yeah. 13. And it's weird. She's got a life plan. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm going to be a server until I am old enough to be a bartender while I go to business school. And I will have, <laughs> like, it's, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Thank you for that question, Kelly, because it should be said, as we are here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and specific to North Carolina, that this is one of the most family-friendly communities you will find, which does help back to our topic of being an entrepreneur because you still want to be, have it all, like you said, mm -hmm. Felicia, and be a part of your kid's life, but also be successful in business. So, yeah, great question. Well, guys, we have maybe a minute left. We can maybe take one more. If not, we can make this our final escape and descent. <laughs> Put all your tray tables and seats back to the forward <laughs> position. And this is where Matt does the cool song. No, I'm just kidding. But I told you I'm not singing. We do have the little uh, theme song that probably will come up in a moment or two. But uh, thank you very much, everybody, for coming out here. Of course, if you haven't heard of the NCFMB podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, if you do find us, give us a review. Tell us what you think. Um, upcoming episodes will feature Ashley Christensen. Uh, we already talked to her. It was an awesome episode. It's going to be dropping soon. And then we'll show us our little three-part mini-series of our, exp our expedition to Lambstock, which was quite exciting. So, uh, Matt, do you have anything else? Well, you guys know what I want to say. Eat and drink merrily. <laughs> I'll start talking.